welcome to our introductory podcast where we let you in on a little bit about who we are and tell you how it is that we came to be together at this table. I'm Emily Olson and I'm sitting here with Jen Verscher and Lisa Bosman and we're just going to drop into each other's lives and and find out a little bit about um, who we all are and where we came from and what brought us here together. I'm super excited. We're going to start with Lisa Bosman and she's going to bear all or some within 20 minutes. We'll yank her off the stage after. Anyway, handing it over to you, Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa. Emily already told you that, but here I am. Anyway, so this is a chance to give you guys out there an intro into or some insight into who we are as people today. And I guess it involves a little bit of the past. Um, So I'll just start with the first thing that happened, which was I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Phew. I know. In Germany. in a, on an Air Force base. And then I was adopted by a stepfather when I was three. And lived with a ton of violence and fear as a child. <clears throat> and because of that, I was propelled to um, use drugs and alcohol. Um, I also was introduced to music at an early age. So I consider myself today a musician of sorts i play guitar piano and um give a shot at singing from time to time and uh so my yeah my childhood was a little rocky and i didn't take it so well so i drank and that led me to becoming alcoholic and when i was 29 i decided to get sober and that was the first day of the rest of my life it sort of opened up a whole new me, actually started to. And it's been a long journey from 29 years old to where I am today, which is 30 years later. You can do the math. Okay. Oh, yay. <laughs> woo, woo. Oh. Well, 30 years sobriety is huge. I know. Am I 30 years sobriety? Oh, yeah. So I got, I'm sorry. I was 28. I, was, I got um, sober in 1989. And from that day forward, I began working on myself, basically. And through CBT therapy, uh, I also went to AA. I was pretty much addicted to that the first five years of my sobriety, which was a good thing for me. So CBT being uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and, um, which helped me a lot. I was in therapy for a lot of years. And I experienced depression. And probably anxiety too, actually. Um, you can catch my future podcast for all the interesting stories about my anxiety and panic attacks if you'd like. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, I've come into um, music a lot more um, as a result of being sober. Just to give you an idea, I used to play songs uh, about a, until about a minute in. And then I would stop playing them. And for the last, say, 10 years, I've started playing music more seriously. 
and doing gigs and, and finishing songs till the end. Finishing songs till the end. The good metaphor for life. Right? I love it. Right. I love it. Uh, and so, and where I'm kind of at today too is is definitely being in my well-being or understanding. Um, just I don't know if understanding the world even fits because I'm a little bit of a deep thinker. I like to think of, um, I like the spirit part and I like the human part and not everything in between. I can talk in total riddles, so you probably don't understand the thing about me yet because I talk in riddles. <laughs> this is my, I also did, you're right, I developed humor early on, which got me in trouble at times actually got me bullied in in school um and also though i did say sketch comedy in new york city like i've lived in new york and la i moved around a lot mm-hmm. um some of it's been exciting i've done a lot of theater theater is a, a love of mine and um so music and theater and musical theater are loves of mine i um and trying to find myself on a constant basis. Wow. That's where I'm at. Awesome. So, Lisa, when, I'm just going to dip right in. When you, um, when you are involved in theater, for instance, what, what roles do you play? And what is it that draws you to that? to that stage, if you will. So I will say the one thing that I loved about theater, and honestly, I fell into it. It wasn't something I sought. Um, I literally signed up for a class at a local college one day, and I went and stood in the registration line, blah, blah, blah. And finally, when I came to the first class with my little pen and notebook, I found out it was an audition. (laughs) And I was like, what? This is an audition. I thought I signed up for a class. Where's the professor? <laughs> you know, where is the professor? And so someone sitting next to me said, just fill out the card and then you can sing Happy Birthday or Star Spangled Banner and just tell the piano player your key. And it was for their summer musical. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. So I went up on stage and I sang Star Spangled Banner in some jazzy manner, like, you know, oh, say. <laughs> Can you see? And I was doing play and see piano player, and that was that was my audition. And then they actually um, called me back for one of the bigger roles, but I didn't get cast in it. Um, I got cast in the show, but as ensemble because that was literally almost my first show. Except I did one in high school that was just a dramatic play. So that was my first dipping into that. And I was in California when that happened and I was in my early 20s. So that was how I got into theater. As I got into it, what I realized, what, what I really loved about it was finding character, was um, delving into human pieces of, you know, figuring out, stepping into other people's, other people's pain or other people's whatever really, which was finding that character through that. Um, Who was your favorite character you ever played? Um, let me think. Well, 
Oh, no, I'm not going to say it. It's too vulnerable. Um, I'm going to say. Do it. <laughs> do it. No, thinking. Um, thinking how you can construct a lie. Yeah, 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 answer yeah, yeah. the question, Lisa. Totally. <laughs> uh, there, was a, there was a guy uh, who was a writer, actually, that we were all, when we were all in this theater group together for four years. And he was a writer and he wrote um, a play and he asked me to be in it. Um, and I was like this tough truck driving woman who was obviously gay. And did I put that label on it? <laughs> and it was actually one of my favorite roles to play, but I couldn't come out of it after. I mean, she was really tough and angry. And <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm driving my semi down the highway. And, you know, it was just crazy. I don't even remember the character, to be honest with you. I just remember there was a lot of delving into things in that. And I was like, ugh. Okay. So what did you identify with? <laughs> All of it. Like the anger, um, the gay thing, the, the um, mostly the anger, I think. Because yeah. I was still drinking at the time, too. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of anger. going The tough, wanting to fight back, wanting to resist, wanting to fight. I don't even remember what the play was about, to be honest with you. But I just remember that character stayed with me for a while yeah. and wouldn't leave. Like, I was still talking like the character for a while in real life. Does it feel like that was maybe an opportunity for you to express on stage what was really going on inside? That? The, it was scary. Let me just say, it was really scary to do that role because it was exposing. Right? There's sometimes you step into something and it's, and it's literally just because you're behind a character doesn't mean that you're not literally exposed. Mm. I know a, a theater a, a drama teacher said once, the day that you can get on stage and be naked in front of people and just be that vulnerable is the day that you are You're the greatest actor, <laughs> you know, the greatest actor ever. And hmm. I witnessed that with um, when a, to a in a show in a show I went to called Wit with why can't I remember her name, but she was naked at the end of it. And I thought, wow, that is, and it wasn't that I was looking even at her body. It wasn't about that. It was about the vulnerability. It was about the, it was a death scene and it was, and it was, um, and it was after she had died, but she's speaking as sort of the person passed over and it was, and she was completely, in the nude and like going but the vulnerability was just ugh I've never cried so much in a play that I've gone to see and like in that it was amazing right it was so amazing and I thought oh I don't know if I could ever do that did did you ever go there did you ever go deep like that not mm -mm. maybe naked but did you ever go no 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 that because I couldn't mm. then cuz the mask was on still with the drinking and all that absolutely and plus, it, yeah, I was so not in touch with, yeah, I wasn't in touch with any of that at the time. So I feel like now more than ever I could 
Do you feel, uh, is there a difference between being, how do I want to ask this question? I'm curious because you've been sober for 30 years and I've only known you sober, obviously. Um, cause I'm only 29, but, uh, <laughs> I'm only 30. Uh, you know, it, it's intriguing to think of, of you offer so much in your day-to-day life and in our friendships and, and witnessing you doing the, the work that you do now, both with theater and, um, teaching music to other people and, and the workshops that you host. Like I, I just, seeing how vulnerable you can be that way. But I, I am curious about what it would have been like to witness you, uh, you know, in those years too, wondering if you had access to maybe more vulnerability in a different way because there was that filter there that kept you, you know, kind of separated. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious mean. about that because when I've witnessed you feel pain and it, you go hardcore, like you go deep, and it's it's interestingly beautiful to watch. Just like you're saying with that play with that woman. Um, so when you're drinking, you never found yourself able to get to like real vulnerability in your roles. No. Hmm. In fact, that was something I felt like there was a total wall between me and that the vulnerability because I used humor. If it wasn't funny, then I was kind of like, I don't know if I can do that or not. Hmm. It's not funny. I mean, I made Berta the made in what's the name of that dog and play had a gabbler. <laughs> I made her so funny that it was people, <laughs> you know, it was, that's how I approached things, right? It was to put that wall of humor on it. Um, today, is different for me. I don't, I mean, I love humor and I love putting humor on things and I love having that fun. At the same time, I'm, I also feel that I embrace more the deeper parts of me too that are vulnerable. The authentic kind of. Yeah, the genuine. Version. Mm-hmm. Your life in a nutshell. Good job. Just life kidding. In a nutshell. No. <laughs> so you did a bit of traveling. You did a bit of traveling. I moved you around did. quite a bit. Yeah. So where's music in your life now? What's music for you now? Well, music's, I mean, I like to take it to the care homes. In fact, I'm playing um, more care home gigs today than I um, play other ones, it seems. I enjoy performing, but I also enjoy passing along, passing along um, any information that I've gained through my self-growth and awareness the workshops or you know through singing through playing an instrument with passion and playing it in a, you know from a genuine place um so that's i mean music is always going to be a part of my life no matter what i don't know what incarnation it will take or so yeah that's where i that was sort of a blanket statement but that's where it is i don't necessarily have to perform it's not a necessity. Just having That's access it. to the music itself, mm-hmm. right? And what about theater? Is that something you want to pursue as well? I love theater so much. Like, I love music. Music is that part of me that's just a part of me. But theater allows me to 
go in and dig deep if I want to. And I want to be that other, I want to experience, it's a way actually for me to experience all facets of life in a sense, if I want to. It's amazing. I can be somebody else. I can, I can be somebody else, but I'm still me on the bottom of it. Hmm. That's where I draw it from, right? I have to draw it from my experience in a sense, but I can also use the empathy that I have as well. I, I just love it. I don't know what it is. It fulfills me for some reason. I haven't done it in a while. Yeah. And something you've shared with us is that you have a desire and a goal to do uh, a one woman, one person show eventually. Yeah. It started out as three, two, one. Yes. One person show. And um, yeah, I want to do, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately, um, doing characters and shedding the characters down. So I think it'll be interesting. Looks like you will end up naked in that last scene then. I mean, if you're shedding away all the characters. <laughs> right? well, let's put it this way. If I happen to shed about 80 pounds this year before the show, then I will maybe do that. <laughs> Who knows? Be more vulnerable not to lose the weight. I think in our town, yeah, would be more vulnerable not to. <laughs> um, I think in our town, I'm not sure that it will be received, but what? why am I thinking that way? Yeah, you never know. Maybe need, it'll be received even more so. Yeah, yeah, I need to do. I need to do just whatever I need to do. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Me neither. I look forward to it. And I, I, I see, I see the piano on the stage. I just see it. It is on there. Yeah, it's the first thing that's going to be there, actually. And like running over to it, doing a little number, <laughs> then coming back, and oh, I can't wait. I almost want to open with it. But I had another idea about opening. I don't know. I don't know yet. It's just every year for the future. Can't wait. Yeah, you literally every year. Yeah, <laughs> literally every year. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lisa. And uh, you know, I mean, as we move through uh, this podcast, we'll learn more about who you are, and and you know, I I just look forward to what you have to offer and the connections that you create for people within themselves, right? Through how you relate to others and who you are as you show up as, as yourself. And um, down the road, we will do an entire episode. You can get into all the good nitty gritty of your life and your, how you ended up in New York City, how you ended up in Los Angeles. Like it's just so... It's, it's full of color, and I, and I look forward to dipping in. We can call it the nuts and bolts of Lisa Balsman. No, I like it. <laughs> and, I, and we hope you'll break out into song. So, yeah, thank you. We're going to continue on over. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> You're welcome, Jen. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Emily. Most welcome. Thank you, people. All right, my turn. So, at the very beginning, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta. I, I am the oldest of two. My brother is not quite three years younger than I am. And uh, I don't have a lot of memories, actually, about my childhood. I have snippets here and there, and I have things that other people have told me, which I find kind of fascinating. But nevertheless, I will share with you what I remember. 
Um, we did a lot of moving around. My dad was a businessman. And uh, soon after I was born, we moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, my brother was born there. And soon after that, we moved to Vancouver. I spent uh, my early years there. I was there for kindergarten. And um, by the time I was in grade three, we headed to Ontario, uh, where I stayed until halfway through grade seven. So all of this moving around was, was pretty um, destructive. I would say for for me, and I remember my dad used to say, "If I could have changed things, I wouldn't have moved you kids around a lot, not as much as I did." But, anyways, that's not something I can change at this point. I remember I was uh, really shy as a child, and um, I would actually get in trouble because I didn't look people in the eye, and so I guess my parents would be embarrassed when they were introducing me to friends or co-workers or whatnot and and I would uh yeah I'd get in quite a bit of trouble for that so that's that is a memory that I definitely have I'm not shy anymore so I managed to grow out of that thank goodness um let's see when I was about 13 years old I well my parents put me in swimming like competitive swimming. And my mom tells me the story that they were watching me swim at a meet one time and I was slicing through the water like a ballerina as opposed to competitively swimming. And so that was when she got the idea that maybe I should be <laughs> put into synchronized swimming. <laughs> and that kind of speaks to how I'm, I'm not... I don't really love competition. I like to just sort of do my own thing. So they ended up putting me in synchronized swimming, and I actually did really like that. Um, it was just a local country club where we, where we swam. Um, but we went into uh, the BC Summer Games at one point, and one of the things I'm proud of is the gold medal that our team came out with. Um, I even have a newspaper clipping somewhere at home. <laughs> what year was that? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I'd be curious. I, I mean, I'd have to do math, which isn't one of my strong points. But I was about between 13, 14, around there. And it's what, whatever year we're in now, minus. <laughs> whatever. Let's, let's, not, not, let's, let's not. not go there. <laughs> um, in school, school was not... Uh, a favorite place of mine to be, so I um, I went because it was the law. <laughs> um, but I did not have a lot of friends, and you would you can probably deduce that that's because I was moved around so much. So by the time I got back to Vancouver, um, a lot of the kids had already established friendships from childhood, and I was plopped right into high school in grade seven. So I ended up having a couple of really good friends. Um, but I did struggle. I didn't, I struggled emotionally and I struggled also academically. Um, but what, what happened at the end of graduation, like grade 12 is I went to Mexico with a couple of friends for our grad present. And, um, I had also traveled a bit in school where we went to Europe 
on a school trip. And um, I got bitten by the the travel bug. It was something that really um, spoke to me, being out out there in the world and meeting other people. And unfortunately, when I got home from, I got off the plane and I remember my parents being there to meet me and they hardly recognized me because I had contracted mono on the trip. <laughs> so I was like ill and barely able to walk, but I, I have a lot of good pictures from that trip. So I'm sure I had a good time. And uh, let's see what else happened. After high school, um, for us in our family, it was just a given that we would go to university. It wasn't something that we got to decide for ourselves. So I ended up choosing UVic here on the island, and um, my family stayed in Vancouver. And uh, I got a, I, I decided to do a Bachelor of Arts. I didn't know what I wanted to study, so I just started studying whatever. And the first year I lived in residence, and uh, it was it was pretty fun. It was like Lisa, I was drinking by that time, and I also loved to eat. So I memories of that time would be doing things like macaroni and cheese, like craft dinner parties in my residence room, or falling asleep with my face in a sticky bun, <laughs> trying to study, and then waking up the next morning realizing I hadn't studied at all. And um, miraculously, I, I did pass all of the courses that I took. But by the second year, um, I had moved off of residence and lived in a, in a home with a couple of other boarders. And um, one day, I just thought, that's it, I've had it. I just, university's not for me. So I packed up my stuff and um, jumped on a ferry and walked in through the back door and my dad was sitting there watching the news. And I walked in and, and uh, he just looked at me and I said, yeah, I'm done. I can't do this university thing anymore. So I took off to Australia for a year with a backpack and um, it was a work abroad program. And I met a couple people on the trip over there and we ended up traveling the whole year pretty much together. And we basically traveled the whole country, um, lived in different places, and I continued my drinking career. <laughs> um, one of the highlights of that was um, I was a pedicab rider for a while, you know, where you're bringing tourists around in the back seat. And, um, and, one, t- and, and one time I was pedaling around and the, my customer said, you're on the wrong side of the street, because of course everything's backwards there and I had uh, forgotten where I was, <laughs> put their lives in danger. So there were lots of different experiences that I had over, over there. Um, when I got back, I wanted to travel more, so I worked for a little while at home and then I went to Spain. And uh, I signed up for a program where I was going to go to school to learn Spanish. Um, So when I got there, I remember stepping off the plane and grabbing my bag and going out to the um, where all the taxi cabs were. And there was just a lineup of of taxis. And all I had was a piece of paper with the address of where I had to go. I had no idea how to speak any of the language. And um, it was quite the experience just handing over this piece of paper and 
putting my life in someone's hands and getting driven to my next place of residence where I stayed for five weeks and went to school every day and eventually began to learn the language. And how I knew it was really sinking in is because I started to dream in Spanish, which was super cool. So I was there for nine weeks, came home, um, and soon after, within days after getting home, uh, a couple friends of mine and I went to out night clubbing, and uh, that was where I was to meet my now husband, standing, leaning against a wall with one leg up and a beer in one hand, and um, I approached him. I was quite bold because I was drinking, of course. And uh, we've been married, well, we've been together for, what, 30 years now. Um, I, we have two amazing daughters, 13 and 15. Um, and uh, I spend a lot of my time, um, a lot of a lot of my brain space goes to how I can be there for them and how I can help them with their journeys and at the same time not try to control their journeys because I know it's not about me um it's not about me trying to show them what they need to do it's about me guiding them and my wish is to help them discover what it is inside of them that's motivating so that they can find their passion because my, you know, my not remembering my childhood, uh, because I was so shy, I didn't ever find my own identity. So I would often ask other people when asked what, you know, my favorite music was or for my opinion on something, I would ask them their opinion. And then I would just say, well, yeah, I feel that way too. <laughs> so it's it's been a long, um, a long journey of trying to find my place in the world. And so one of my main goals for my kids has been to be able to allow them the space from the very beginning to feel comfortable and empowered by, by who they are. Wow, I've been talking for a really long time. Is my time up? You're only halfway. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> a little over halfway. Okay, questions, comments. Well, I just want to say about your no, about your daughters though. I mean, you have one daughter who um, is an amazing, amazing artist. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of her stuff, and it's so lifelike and so. I mean, ugh, it's amazing. And your other daughter, who was just in the paper, for you know, I mean, they're doing surprisingly well do you feel like boy I wish I had that life that's actually a good question um no I would say I would say that I'm because I'm a very what I like to say to people is that I'm employed by the universe I am a very spiritual person and that's not something that I normally would um, advertise because I was chastised for how emotional I was um, from a very young age. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like my parents were horrible people. They weren't. They were amazing, loving, loving people. It's just that m- the way that I interpreted my world was um, 
it, it, it just felt lonely. And I think, I think it's because they were both very busy with what they were doing. They were really big movers and shakers and really concerned with um, helping the world and other people. And so in some ways, I feel like I may have gotten lost a little bit in all of that. So, but what I know being a spiritual being is that there are no accidents. And so my, my firm belief is that everything that happens in my life and has happened in my life has happened for me, not to me. Um, and that's really gotten me through a lot of really difficult times. Instead of going into a place of uh, shame and um, sadness, I go to another I go into another level of there's a reason why something is happening this way. So no, that's a long answer to your question. My life is my life the way it is for a reason. And uh, I'm happy that my kids feel confident and, and secure in who they are. That was my goal, and I, I hope that it continues that way for them. Crickets. <laughs> like crickets. Well, it's, it's, it can be challenging looking at your life from the viewpoint of, like, telling it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so much to it. There's so many beautiful moments and beautiful experiences and um, getting a sense of your journey in the world is really neat. And I always learn something new when you talk about yourself <laughs> because usually you're just quite honestly present in the moment that we're not hearing a ton of like the past, um, mm -hmm. which speaks to your ability to be that spiritual person you are, right? I love that. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, I feel maybe at this point that it's appropriate to say that with what I've shared about my childhood and the loneliness and, and whatnot, that uh, I it, it, it turned inward and I have struggled with depression and anxiety. And to be totally transparent it's something that i continue to struggle with um but i look at it as i said before as something that is here to help guide me towards exactly who it is that i am meant to be in this world and rather than comparing myself to others to continue to work on being present and being in the moment and and finding what it is in other human beings that is special about them. I love to, I love to um, share in that and I love to highlight what it is that's beautiful about them and help them to, to see that within themselves as well. So like things like random acts of kindness and, and that sort of thing are my jam. I love doing stuff like that. I love seeing something that's needed and then going and doing it or you know leaving something on someone's doorstep and then running away so that they don't know who left it <laughs> that sort of thing those things are those are the things that bring me joy and i think because my parents were 
such big people in the world, I thought that I need to be the same, but I'm realizing that that's not necessarily the case. I can just be in the world and be in the moment and then let the universe do its magic through me. So that's sort of where I'm at at this point. No bells and whistles. (laughs) There's lots of bells and whistles. Well, thank you so much for sharing. That's awesome. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Dreaming in Spanish. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. Don't do that anymore. I need to go back. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that, Jen. You're welcome. And now we move over to Emily Emily Olson. Thank you. Okay, so, um, wow. I was born in Little River outside a town called Lincoln in in New Zealand. Sun and Gemini, Moon and Leo, (laughs) Capricorn rising. (laughs) What a messy chart. What a messy chart, (laughs) yes. I... Whenever I've asked my parents about the day I was born, it was a little one-room hospital, and apparently this uh, tree, which I think originated in China, or it's, it's native to China and somehow got to New Zealand, um, called Winter Sweet, was in bloom. And a couple of years ago, my mom gave me a plant, and I've um, planted it in my garden, and it blooms in the winter even though June is summer in New Zealand or summer here, but in New Zealand it's winter. So in case you're wondering about winter sweet being in bloom on June 11th, that's why. Yeah. So it's my half birthday really in January, right? So I should really celebrate both. That's right. Both, I think. What date would that be in January that you're going to celebrate your birthday? January. Well, it would be January 10th because the actual, um, it's like five hours, 19 hours ahead in New Zealand. Which is your husband's birthday. Which is my husband's birthday. And was my mom's birthday as well. Beautiful miracles. Yes. Anyway, so grew up in New Zealand and I was the third of an eventual six kids. And my mom was Canadian, my dad's Kiwi, and uh, we... Moved around a little bit, but mostly we were in a place called Golden Bay at the very top of the South Island, which is literally heaven on earth. I kid you not, it is the most gorgeous place for so many reasons, but mostly just the natural world. Um, I have really great memories of playing in creeks and swimming and doing all those things that kids love to do, like playing in the mud, no parents around, coming home for dinner, just like living life. And it was really, really incredible Um, when I was in play. And um, I guess you could have called me shy, but more so um, at a very young age, prior to moving to Golden Bay, um, I lived in a town called Amaru. picked up early on that my role was to be the invisible kid, the third child, whatever. I became a middle child, so it it panned out well. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't 
necessarily behave. I, I didn't think as though I pitied myself. It was more a thing of like, I just kept quiet and watched everything. I watched everything and I, and I wasn't like aiming for the live light, limelight or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I took to sucking my thumb at a very young age and continued to do that and like twirl my hair and just like watch and not say much ever. And I lived in my head, in my imagination. So playing in the outdoors was perfect for me because I didn't have to be anyone or do anything. I just got to have fun. Um, and, and because of that, became quite athletic. Um, I could climb a tree like nobody's business. I loved to swim competitively. I loved being in the water, period. I loved just the, the silence of it, the quiet, the time to think. And I was also a cross-country runner. And to this day, you know, I still really enjoy running the pace that I keep and the, the sort of inner mantra that plays in my head as I run is, it, it's like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I just count to three, one, two, three, inhale, one, two, three, exhale. And it's so, it's like, it was my meditation before I knew what meditation was. Um, I was raised a Baha'i, and so there was a real early spiritual connection, and um, that was uh, really a beautiful faith to be brought up in, very multicultural, and um, you know, still, still lots to learn about that faith. Um, and my mom, obviously, with six kids, was uh, for the most part a stay-at-home mom. She did have. Uh, you know, various part-time jobs that she did do between kids at times, but um, I was lucky to have a parent at home, and um, dad was a school teacher, and in, for the, for the first um, major part of my life up until I was 12, living in Golden Bay allowed just, I think the best word I could explain is freedom. It's just this really expansive feeling of freedom, and that it, everything was really just available, you know, and I love to read and was really, um, really thrived in school. I loved structure. I like getting the gold star. Like I was the good pupil kind of thing. Right. I like structure. I liked, I like knowing I was doing a good job. I liked that confirmation because I was never truly sure within myself at that age. Um, and when I was about 10, I had a really special moment in my life where I was lying on the school field and just got this sense of life in a bigger way. And I knew, and I knew there was good stuff coming and I knew there was a really beautiful life laid out for me. And, and I, I recall that quite often. Um, even just for myself, just knowing that I was a part of this world and that I was meant to be here. And um, yeah, my, my place in my family was perfectly designed for what I needed to become, I think. 
and uh, very loving, loyal daughter, you know, all the, all the things that I thought were what you do, <laughs> you know. Um, I was always deeply, deeply moved by music and movies. Um, and in the town we lived in, it was really beautiful uh, getting to take part in things like brownies and theater and all the different sports and um, art, you know, visual performing, all of it. And so just thinking about it now, I'm like, wow, what a rich life I had up until we left New Zealand. What a rich life. Holy. Um, and New Zealand itself is, I believe, uh, a really special place in the universe. And it's no mistake that they filmed Lord of the Rings there. Uh, just magical. Like it really, really, truly is. My mom used to read us The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And so it was such a beautiful thing when those movies got made that it was done there. And, and I, thought, I thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job. And I, it's a beautiful connection I have with my now son, who's 12, where we, we bond over that, those stories, those Tolkien stories. Um, and I'm just going to skip to Canada. You know, we moved here um, when I was 12. And that was quite a challenge for me. Although it was really intriguing and interesting and new and fun and exciting to move to another country, you know, at 12 years old, it was... It felt like I got ripped in half or something. It was like, it was really difficult to be to feel whole. And you know, I, I've picked it apart and tried to explain it and and make sense of it in many different times throughout my life. But if I if I really just honor who I was at that time, grade seven. Um, I, I did feel just conflicted within me that, that my heart was there, even though my family was here, which was where my love was. So I was determined to get back to New Zealand and I had saved within a year and a half enough money for a ticket back. So like $1,500 or something. And so, uh, we had moved to a community on um, the central coast of BC called Shearwater, which is adjacent to uh, Bella Bella in Heltzik territory. And something switched for me. It was, it was a combination of becoming a teenager and noticing, like, boys, <laughs> guys, whatever you want to call it, uh, and still feeling that pull to go back, go home, like yearning to go home. And it seemed as though every time I was ready to go, like even if it was just a visit, that something would happen like, you know, I got a boyfriend or something happened in school or whatever. And slowly that desire to go back was fading and it just turned into this like pain place for me. I don't know how better to explain it than that 
yeah, it just turned into like pain. And anytime I would talk about New Zealand, I would like cry. Ugh. Anyway, um, when I was about 15, I was doing really, really well in school. And I was doing it through like distance education. You send your exercises through the mail and you go down to the post office, trot down and see how you did. And the, and the schoolwork went through the mail. And um, correspondence was not fun. It was really difficult, but I, I managed to do well. And because of that, I was selected at, within a group of uh, youth in grade 8, 9, 10 that got to go on a trip to China. And that was a really beautiful opportunity and I went and I just soaked it all in uh, we went to Beijing and I got to go be in the Forbidden City and be in those places that were in movies I had watched it was just incredible um, being on the Great Wall I had this moment I remember the exact moment. I remember what I was wearing and I had this really dorky short haircut and it was it was a strange like fad like kind of borderline grungy nirvana like I don't it, I was very confused in my image but I I nonetheless remember it all very well. I remember standing on the great wall and it was like the lying on the school field. It's like no, I'm a part of this world. I'm going to just soak in this moment right now and just appreciate it for what it is and how lucky I am to be to be here and have this opportunity because there's there's spectacular places on this planet there's energy places there's spiritual places there's places where war happens there's there's bad places but the great wall for me was it was like the universe saying, there's opportunities for you. And because the Great Wall resembled some type of achievement in my heart, like, it was like, you've been on the Great Wall. Like, not everybody gets to do that. But not everybody gets to have a kid. Not everybody gets to go to school. So, but it was just one that was big enough to catch my attention, I guess. And so the moment was really beautiful, and I remember saying to myself, don't forget this. Like, don't forget what's possible. And so I cherish that teaching that the Great Wall gave me, was, was that there's things far beyond your imagination that can happen, and, and life is always ready to, you know, show us things we weren't expecting. My friend Jeremy always says this thing. He goes, today could be the day before that really great thing happens, right? Today could be the day before you meet your soulmate, or today could be the day before you get offered that lead in that Oscar-winning play or, or movie, Oscars. No, what is it for, for theater? I don't Tony. know. Tony. It's the day before you win your Tony. <laughs> you know, right? Like your play could win a Tony right and this could be the day before you get the idea that leads you to the thing that gets you to the writing of it that creates this beautiful play that you get to act in and then maybe they don't have tonys in canada i don't know 
But it also reminds me of that saying of don't quit five minutes before the miracle. Ooh, I've never heard that. That's, that's amazing. Nice. Don't quit five minutes before the miracle. Hmm. Anyway, so um, that, was a, that was a turning point for me because it was right when um, uh, my, I mean, it's a fact, my parents split up. And I was, uh, when I went to China, that was when that was all kind of happening at the same time. So it was like this, this knowing about life. And at the same time, I was experiencing like everything that I had known changing. And also that age, you know, 14, 15, 16, you're really coming into an awareness of who you are as a human being. It's less about that you're a teenager or you're a kid. It's like really literally the awareness of your adult self, even though you're still in those teen years. It's your, your brain has the capacity to understand that you are a being, you have a self, right? And, and I was really experiencing that. And with it came this really deep sadness. And um, so that was kind of when my depression started. And there'd been some like trauma and stuff, but, you know, it was definitely there. It, it seemed to have a home. It found its home pretty easily. And I'm still unpacking that after years of, of journeying with depression as a, as a companion, if you want to call it, um, to which I said goodbye to or, or mostly let go of, I guess, the, that relationship about two and a half, three years ago, um, you know, as an adult. I obviously there's a lot in between when I was 15 and went to China and, and who I am now, but essentially, um, the really good stuff happened and I became, I became, you know, who I was. I, I, I moved into adulthood. I, I had to finally address the, the elephant in the room, which was, you know, there was a deep darkness in me that I, didn't honor. I spent time in a psych ward for a couple of weeks. I went on and off medication. I, you know, tried to figure out who the heck I was. I, I did everything from pursuing a career in film and television, um, short films, commercials, you know, trying that out and that didn't work because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, it didn't align with my path and I, you know, found myself going in another direction. And then I took a career at um, Canada Post for 10 years in a, in a supervisory role. And that seemed to contain me for a decade. And in that decade, what that, what that did make possible, and I have deep appreciation for the people and, and friendships that, that developed there, was that I learned about some of my strengths that I had not previously been aware of. And I, and I, it felt quite natural to be in a leadership role, but yet that darkness was still, you know, rumbling pretty loudly under the surface. 
But what that the time there did in the container and just the financial stability of, of a job like that allowed me to have two maternity leaves, get married, you know, and um, after the the psych ward, the first thing I did when I came out was audition for a play <laughs> of all things. Because I thought if I if I stay in my passion, maybe there's a way I can bring some life back into my world. And uh, so I did a play and it was really challenging to do that, actually, when you're in depression. And it was so difficult to learn my lines, but about a week before it just, it just clicked. And I, and I, you know, I managed to do it and I did it well, actually, I thought. And it was a lot of fun. And right after I did the play, it was like, I can get back into the workforce. And I thought probably, um, this was obviously before Canada Post, or maybe it's not obvious, but um, I, I got a job like hostessing at a restaurant and one of the waiters, uh, servers became my husband. Um, and in that partnership, I think uh, I just found my way. I found my way having a love like that. You know, not only romantic, but as well, friendship and companionship and just not being alone, like literally being alone, like having somebody. I don't think we're meant to be alone. I think we're meant to be surrounded by love. And that was beautiful. And uh, my husband and I have kind of found our way together and it's, there's been hiccups and, you know, all kinds of things, but we've, we've found the way to who we truly are, I believe. And, you know, uh, our kids are 12 and seven and they are out of this world amazing. And I've learned about who I am and who I can be and who I don't want to be in all layers of parenting. Um, but I really enjoy being around them, just separate of the fact that they're my kids. They're actually enjoyable to be around and with and so much fun. And, um, you know, where we are today is we have a roof over our heads and love in our hearts and a good, good life. And, and it seems to be just being in that, trying to be present to that as best I can. Um, and now that we're in kind of that, groove of a family we're all four of us able to dip into the world and and find our creative spaces which is really what i i yearn for more than anything is for each one of us to to be our be our spirit selves be our creative selves and that shows up in many different forms and i do all kinds of extremely random <laughs> things in my life now um you know, I like to write poetry. I'm working on a book, which is changing daily what it actually is. It's sort of cross-genre, memoir-ish, personal development, like whatever. It's all these things and finding ways to just continue to incorporate the practices I know serve my well-being, meditation, proper sleep, eating well, and I'm three days in on yoga. <laughs> it's a big deal. Like, cause when you get out of it, it's hard to get back in. Right. 
So three days in on yoga and meditation after missing it for however long. So hopefully that made somewhat a bit of sense. Um, I don't know. What do, you, what do you draw out about your life? You know? What do you, what do you choose? What do you pick? Because we, we get to write our lives over and over and over again. And my life keeps changing, even though nothing's actually changed because it's all in the past. But just the way I view it, I guess, has evolved and continues to evolve. But the one thing that I think is consistent for me is I love human connection. I thrive off seeing other people and witnessing other people in just their beautiful humanness in who they are. And I love seeing people do well. And I love uh, sharing stories in whatever way we can. So I try to do that. You do do that. Questions? <laughs> I love that. I love hearing that synopsis. But that's what brings us all here. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> You're welcome, Emily. So that's a little bit about Lisa and Jen and myself. And we look forward to delving in to uh, more of who we are and the connections that we have in our life and to bring about a deeper understanding of what well-being means for us and what it can hopefully hopefully mean for others and um, we look forward to jumping into our episodes so thanks for being here you guys oh, it's been great <laughs> it's hard when you're the 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 camera's on you right or the record button yeah, I know. as it were so we're gonna sign off lots of love and stay connected <laughs>